G'day everybody, I'm Ranger Brandon and welcome to Phillip Island Edge Parks and welcome to the Penguin Parade. Now I will be the Ranger who is running this stand. Hello, Anne Jones here. Phillip Island holds a special place in the hearts of Melburnians. It's something like a holy site for motorsports enthusiasts, I think, and it's a place for an affordable family getaway. You always went there when you were a kid. And on top of that, it's the home of the Penguin Parade at the Summerlands Peninsula, where tiny little 30 centimetre high, stompy birds clomp up from the ocean every night past waiting, paying tourists. And it's the site of what's believed to be a world first in environmental conservation. Fiona Pepper is reporting from Phillip Island in Victoria. The penguins used to love our tennis court because I think they need a flat place for mating. Oh. <laughs> so it always looked an absolute mess. <laughs> and we had so many penguins that would seek refuge under our house and around that, that it always had a pungent smell. And an old friend from a farm down here came back after decades of being away and she came to the house and with joy she said, oh, and it still has the same smell. <laughs> which is actually revolting. Can you smell it now? Yeah, I can smell whiffs of it, yes. It's the smell of penguins. Dr Peter Dan is the Director of Research at Phillip Island Nature Parks. Some penguins come ashore um, every night of the year. The, the penguin parade is actually about 10% of the whole colony, so the 90% of the colony goes further to the west of us here. So they walk up these tracks and they nest in their burrows so they're up there often displaying or incubating eggs or feeding chicks during, during the breeding season. But at other times they're there, they have to go through a period of a couple of weeks where they change over all their feathers so they have to molt out all their feathers and, and grow new ones through. All these things happen in the vicinity of their burrows which they're relatively faithful to, particularly the males from one year to the next. This is probably the largest uh, little penguin colony in the world. We think the last estimate is around 36,000 breeding birds. And it was right here, on top of the penguin rookery at the western point of Phillip Island, that Summerland Housing Estate was established in the 1920s. In the middle of the night, the, the call of the penguin, they go... And they sound like donkeys braying. And if we didn't remember to tell any guests, they'd be sitting bolt upright in the middle of the night wondering what on earth was happening. And because we had so many under the house and they used to make the most incredible racket. Every school holiday since it was built in the 1940s, Jean Verway's family would visit their holiday home at Summerland. And while it was just a loose grid of fibro shacks, dirt tracks and power lines, 
She says it meant more to them than anyone could have known. As I've got older and looking back on the men who came back following the, the Second World War, I think they, uh, nothing was said of course, no one talked about their feelings or what had gone on, and particularly to us children, so we were totally oblivious. But I think they must have suffered a lot. I heard much later that a lot of my father's friends had been killed. And I think for those men coming back from places of war and devastation to come to this island, very remote, it took a long time to get here over rutted roads all the way along and for most of the way down before we got to the bridge. And this end of the island particularly was totally remote, but wild and beautiful. And I think just to be in such a natural place of enormous beauty must have had an incredible healing effect on them. But they were also with other friends who'd had similar experiences. For us children, it was just the most wonderful place. We had none of those worries or issues. We just enjoyed the place and all it had to offer. It was just so special. It was, it was wonderful. You couldn't have asked for a better life. I mean, my children absolutely adored it and so did my husband. We all did. Phil Dixon was one of the few permanent residents at Summerland Estate. For over 30 years, she and her husband lived overlooking Bass Strait, side by side with the little penguins. The penguins, well, they were just as beautiful. They used to, they used to come in at night and they'd have a look at us and off they go their own way and things like that. No, we didn't have any problems with the penguins and I don't think they had any problems with us. Only thing is, we couldn't speak penguin language. <laughs> but they were beautiful. Do you remember what sound the penguins make? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you do the penguin sound? <laughs> Half the night. <laughs> Everyone I ask, they can do the penguin impersonation perfectly. <laughs> That's what they used to do. And, and the more penguins you had around your place, the louder the sound was, especially on a, a calm night, you know. And we all slept with the window wide open because we used to live, love to listen to the, the waves, you know, as they came in. And the penguins in the background, yeah, so it was great. Elizabeth Lundell Hegedus has worked at the Penguin Parade for years. Phillip Island was one of the first places she visited when she moved to Australia, and she said she fell in love with it. Lovely oh, wow. habitat under there. Elizabeth and her husband Where? bought a block at Summerland Estate in 1975, and built yeah, not long right. after that. And here is a very active borough, obviously, just under there. So we're standing on a pretty, um, I don't know, nondescript patch of grass, but this is where your house yes. stood. Those bushes, you see the atroplex there, the, the grey, greeny bushes, mm -hmm. they were just outside the front of our house. 
we just had penguins all around. <laughs> and what was that like? Uh, during the breeding season, pretty noisy and smelly. Um, the rest of the time, you didn't really notice them all that much. We had a major penguin path going right past the house, so if we wanted to watch penguins, we could just look at them through the window or go outside and just stand there. <laughs> so every night you'd have a penguin parade? We had our own private parade every night, yes. Septic tank. This is the septic tank. <laughs> so this was exactly, this was right outside the house. So the house was here. Yeah. Um, and I mean, obviously a little bit higher than we are now. So if you imagine that view that we saw before, that's what we saw because yeah. we, were, we were looking at it from, from above. We could actually see down into the rocks. Into the cliffs. Yeah. And, yeah, wow. Now, do you, how do you feel about taking a seat on the septic tank so we can have a chat? <laughs> yes, lovely place to sit. It's, it's, a, it's a nice place, isn't it? There's a little bit of penguin poo, but I think we'll survive. I'm not worried about penguin poo. Okay. I'm used to it. All right. Yes, yeah, so here is where we used to live. Wow. Can you describe what the house was like? It was just like a box. <laughs> it was fibrous cement, of course. Very scary these days. Just a, a long box. Nothing fancy but a beautiful, beautiful view. It was wild and isolated and different and nice. Yeah, my kind of place. Paradise? Yes, I suppose you could put it that way. Yes, for me it was. By the early 1980s, there were around 177 houses and things at Summerland Estate began to change. Dr. Peter Dan. The penguins were first studied in 1968 by a group that formed called the Penguin Study Group. They became aware that penguin populations sorry, seemed to be declining quite rapidly. There was a lot of controversy and a lot of uncomfortableness in the community about the future of the penguin prey because it's a very important regional economic resource, but it's also part of the kind of fabric of life, certainly on Phillip Island, but even in Victoria. it's. It's where you bring your children and your overseas visitors. In 1980, Peter Dan was employed by the Phillip Island Nature Parks to assess the health of the penguin population. It became pretty obvious at the outset that there was a lot of dead penguins around the colony and many of them had been killed by either foxes or dogs. There was a, a lot of penguins getting run over on the roads through the Summerland estate, the housing estate, and out to the, to the Nobbies, a, a lookout area to the southwest of us. Each evening, the penguins would travel to their burrows along the main road within the estate, and that would make them extra vulnerable to car strike. When Peter looked to the future, he saw that with more and more people and development, the penguin population would further decline. There was 180 houses in the housing estate and when it was going to be fully developed there were 760 blocks. You know, there would have been at least 760 cars, possibly 760 dogs, 760 cats and um, all the services had to go in. There was only electricity so water and sewerage had to go in and most of the penguin habitat in the estate was was the bits left between the houses and along the roadsides where the services would, would end up going in. And I had um, a very good data suggesting that the, the penguin parade itself would cease to exist 
because it would have no penguins by 1997. I was becoming increasingly despondent, really, because there were so many vested interests and, and, and you know, stakeholders, if you will, um, most of them legitimate, of course, um, in, in the process that it looked like we weren't going to get any kind of resolution to the problems. And it really came to a head in uh, 1984 when Joan Kerner, who's, who's now passed away, she became the Minister for Conservation. Which takes us away from the island for now and into Melbourne's CBD. Level two, going down. Hi, how are you? Hello, I'm Fiona. And the office of a past Premier. Uh, John Kane, I was Premier from 1982 until 1990. Who was behind the idea of protecting this penguin habitat down at Phillip Island? I think there are a number of forces at work. There was the conservation lobby. Some of the local residents, tourism industry, but I think underlying all that was a growing realisation that the penguins and what they brought by way of novelty, uh, historic past, conservation values, had to be accommodated in any plans. It took a person like Joan Kerner, who was quietly determined to deliver this to the government and the support of the government at large, to deliver it in the long term. And that's, it's a combination of those things, I think. And it's a good lesson in both introducing and delivering a long-term plan. And you have an obligation as the custodians of the land or people responsible for the time being to see the long-term and not just the immediate past and the immediate future. In July 1985, Premier John Kane made an unprecedented announcement the Victorian state government would buy back the entire Summerland estate and turn it into a wildlife reserve. Peter Dan. I think it's a world first. There's plenty of cases of towns being moved for, uh, you know, dams and for uh, military purposes, but we can't find any example of, of a town being purchased for conservation purposes. It's a very unusual uh, situation, but, but certainly penguins have been there big winners and Victorians too, I think. How difficult is it to make a decision like this? Look, it's not that hard to make the decision when you know you're making the right decision you do it after consultation. It is more difficult to sell it. It was literally an island before the bridge was built in about 1940. Perhaps the island was seen by its residents and its, uh, its locals as being uh, something away from the mainland and they shouldn't be allowed to, well, they shouldn't allow interference from outside. Short-term considerations dominate for a while and then people start to realise that what you're doing is for the long-term good and the penguins are one of those things. But, of course, that abstract buyback scheme was decided on in Melbourne and meant that practically on Phillip Island, a physical community was going to cease to exist. Uh, horrified and deeply shocked and incredibly saddened that all of this was going to come to an end. There'd been whispers, there'd been whispers, I mean... We knew once, nothing about it. Um, once, there was a, a bit of talk about the possibility. Just awful. Maybe, it was just an awful, miserable time. 
On Off Track, I'm Fiona Pepper and you're with me on Phillip Island exploring the case of a community dismantled for a bird. The community was called Summerland and in the 1980s the Victorian state government embarked on a project to buy back the housing blocks and convert them into land for wildlife. Phil Dixon. A lot of people accepted it on the basis of, oh well, it's going to happen, what can we do? Some people were terribly stressed, some people died. They were older, they couldn't handle it. The younger people, they were bitter about it because they lived where they lived. They had a paradise, they were happy. Elizabeth was one of the homeowners at Summerland. Well, we were suddenly told that the government was going to purchase all the properties in this area, but it wasn't going to be compulsory. There was going to be a 15-year period of grace during which it was voluntary. We were told 15 years, but that turned into 25 in the long runs. And then we were in limbo for, well, it was 25 years after that. The state government had allowed $10.5 million to buy back properties over 15 years, and after that, properties would be compulsorily acquired. But the buyback ended up taking 25 years, mainly due to a lack of funding. It went on for so long. We just we were in such a state of limbo, not knowing the government had allocated $1 million a year and so every year they fulfilled the quota that they had very, very easily. So the people with houses actually were a long way down the line. And we just waited and waited. And of course, prices invariably went up. So there was less basis purchased each year. And at the same time, we were told, don't do any maintenance, don't improve your property. And so we were in this terrible state of limbo, not knowing what was going to happen. And of course people, the way people are, took it out on Penguin Parade because ultimately they were the people who wanted this to happen, even though it wasn't their decision and it wasn't them doing it. But they were the local people that you could hate <laughs> you know, on a local basis. For a few weeks I had the phone, the phone used to ring and there'd be nobody there and I often wondered if that was someone expressing some sort of frustration but, but I'd always been as open as I possibly could and you know people knew that I was an advocate for the penguins and, and, and I made no, you know, no bones about that. When we spoke on the phone you talked about how you did have someone um, threatening to burn your house down or something? Y yes, that was passed on to me by by a third party so I don't know who who actually instigated that but they said to me you better make sure your house insurance is paid up I, I moved my my um, treasured possessions out of the house for a while standing at Summerland Beach you wouldn't know that people had once lived here you look out over this incredibly rugged coastline and look back at tussock and long grass and shrubs and, and a lot of penguin burrows. 
But knowing now that there were houses dotted throughout this estate with this 360 degree view of the ocean, you can understand why people were attached to this place and have so many fond memories. It seems like a time that no longer exists. We finally left in 2008. We were angst-ridden, we discussed it at length, it, it was just constant. We felt a bit like being on the, in death row, where at any moment we were going to get the chop and we didn't know when. And it was just after that that my sister was diagnosed with a brain tumour. And then she died exactly four months to the day after diagnosis. And I've always felt that the stress of that time could well have had an effect on that. It was the most incredibly um, traumatic time. Were you here the day that the house went? No. I did see the film of them taking the house apart, which was quite funny in one aspect because they, they got to pulling it apart and then had to hold everything because they discovered a whole lot of penguins underneath the house. So I thought that <laughs> that, that was rather nice that, that in fact after, instead of being the evil people who kept out the penguins they had to halt the whole performance and then they showed I think it was our house actually being trundled down and I remember weeping at the, at the time and thinking I was so glad that Sue wasn't there to have seen it because as the you know that camera when, when they did that film and panned in I could and showed the bushes I recognised and all around this whole area we knew like the back of our hand and I could smell them and feel them and just by watching them on the film I, I, I could feel every bit of it, yes. Yeah, so. so you couldn't be here the day that it was removed? I don't think I would have been. I think that would have been far too traumatic. Looking around me, there's at least a thousand tourists here at the Penguin Parade tonight. And as it starts getting dark, the birds begin emerging from the surf and waddling at the beach. It was almost immediate that, that we saw the increase in the numbers of penguins, both at the parade and, and generally once we got rid of the road mortality and the dog mortality. The proof's in the pudding now. The population has grown from about 12 to 14,000 breeding birds and declining in 1984 to, uh, you know, 36,000 and stable. Penguins are a cute and are attractive animal. Do you think if if they were less attractive, the, the buyback would have happened? Has it got anything to do with how cute they are? I, I think it's got everything to do with it, really. The power of penguins is quite remarkable, and it's, it's all about the attraction, I think. And 
and it's probably all about the fact they don't fly, you know, so they walk. Some people find them comical, but, but others just, I think, just relate to them as, as a, almost a humanoid sort of, of creature. You know, you, when you think, you know, there's, there's people that don't, don't like cats and there's probably people that don't like Christmas and children, but um, I, I've never met anyone that doesn't like penguins. Fiona Pepper and the case of the little penguins that could. Of course, protecting the area for the penguins has had roll-on effects for other species, like the mutton birds, which also fly into burrows and nest on the Summerland estate. And more recently, they have had a successful release of eastern barred bandicoots into the area. And the growth of the penguin colony is mirrored by a growth of the tourism industry for the Penguin Parade. It's worth $498 million a year to the state's economy. You can see a list of everyone who spoke on today's program as well as photos of the old town and what it's like now at the website, abc.net.au slash offtrack. My name is Anne Jones and be sure to pack the thermos ready for next time because that's when I'll take you somewhere else.